Well, I think that's pretty much it. If you've got a Bible open to Romans chapter 8, anybody feel like this is kind of a surreal time as you look at the news and uh, I mean everything that actually is happening right now I thought that it was going to happen all the time when I was growing up and it just never did I mean this whole pall of fear that at that point it was the Soviet Union is going to take over the world and there'll be world war and nuclear disaster and, and, and here we are uh, on the threshold of all that, and everybody's like, I, I mean, I at least feel like I, I thought that we were done with all that. <laughs> so today, our nation is paralyzed by the threat of war while the reality of war rages in Ukraine. It's hard to complain about supply chain issues and rising costs of food and fuel when many have lost their lives and many more have lost their homes. It's hard, but we'll figure it out, right? It's bad. We should not complain. Sometimes the pressure and pain strike closer to home, like last night when J.C. and Brennan's son Emmett got hurt so badly. So what are we to do in times like these? What does the Christian life look like? Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the Christian response to pain and pressure. Let's pray before we study these words. Jesus, you are worthy. And you are full of glory and honor. And we pray again for this street team that your glory and your honor would be proclaimed. That you'd be preparing the way and preparing the fruit. And God, I pray that you would grant our eyes and our hearts the gift of understanding and insight and application so that your holy will should be accomplished in our hearts through your holy word. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Back in verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing comparing, but he does exactly that. He says, it's not worth comparing, but let's compare for just a minute. Comparing the present suffering, which is visible, with the future glory, which is invisible. So what do we know about sufferings? Oh, we're experts, right? It's okay to minimalize that and say, well, no, I, I just understand a little bit. I've only seen a little bit. And it's God's grace that you've seen as little as you have. But sufferings are present and affecting all created things. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. You know about this? Futility? You do everything right, and it all falls apart in your hands. Have you tried this? You pray the right prayers and do the right deeds, and what happens? You you can't actually protect the ones that you love the way that you could, the, the way that you wish you could. You can't actually protect yourself from calamity because it knocks on every door and you can't say no. Futility is this feeling like, well, why did I even try? Why did I even try when it falls apart under my hands? That's how it feels. But we're not ruled by our feelings, are we? So 
Suffering is present. It affects all created things, and that includes us. It's not just us, but it is us. So what do you do when you suffer? Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation groans under the weight of the suffering. Is it just the creation? Verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I just never could get on board with the brand of Christianity that wants to paint everything in bright colors. I've got a friend who wanted, he heard that somebody rewrote the lyrics. Just a few more weary days and then. He says, no, just a few more joyful days. I just, it just doesn't resonate with me because of where we live. We live in a place where things fall apart. We live in a place where things hurt. And we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Honestly, how can you not? Let's just say you live a model life and everything's just peachy for you. So I'm not going to groan and moan. I've got the Spirit. I'm not downing having the Spirit, by the way. And I'm not saying we should be gloomy people, but I'm just dealing with the text, and I'm dealing with the reality in which we live. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, is there a joy in that? Yes. But even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, because that's not complete until the redemption of our bodies. How can you not hear what's happening in the world and groan some? Isn't it the groaning that makes us say, come quickly, Lord Jesus? If you get too satisfied here, do you even long for heaven anymore? And I don't think that we're ever supposed to find ourselves as anything but strangers and pilgrims passing through. We are headed to our homeland where there's joy untainted by sorrow, but we don't live there yet. At present, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly with the creation who's going through the pains of childbirth. There's a good end. When, when you have the pains of childbirth, there's a good end. But, but the experience of it, even though you know somewhere that there's a good end, it's pretty consumingly painful. The creation is in that right now. Yeah, there's a good end. The revealing of the sons of God in glory, that's good. But in the meantime, it's consumingly painful.
Verse 24. In this hope, that is the revelation of the future glory, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Part of the present suffering is that the hope which makes it better is unseen. Now, in the Christian life, we hold on to all that's precious by faith. But faith by its very nature means you don't get to see the object of your faith or it wouldn't be faith. You don't get to see the object of your hope or it wouldn't be hope. And so it adds a little bit to the burden. All that is what he says is not worth comparing not worth comparing to the glory, the future glory, that which is invisible. Let's talk about that for a bit. Because after we talk about not the, the suffering that's present, that's visible, that's not worth comparing to the glory that's coming, that's at present invisible, after he compares that, he's going to compare that comparison to two other things. So We'll, we'll get there. Backing up to verse 18 again, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, is to be revealed to us. Glory will be revealed in the saints. It says so in verse 19. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is happening. What happens at that point? Verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And add that to verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What? Are set free from bondage to corruption. Well, didn't that happen when you first came to Jesus? Wasn't there some kind of connection that was broken between you and corruption? Well, yeah, I mean, sin does not have dominion in your life anymore. You're free to walk in righteousness, free to walk in the Spirit. And that was never the case before you put your faith in Christ. But there's this semi-permanent end. Okay, it's not permanent. When you die, it's the beginning for you of life free from all the restraints that you live under right now. There's supposed to be, I think, some kind of a longing for that. Not not morbidly, like uh, I'm going to start wearing school t-shirts and stuff, like I'm obsessed with death. Not, not like that, because he's doing something important in us while we live prior to death. He's doing something important, and we'll get to that here, because the text does. But... There, there's a future freedom from corruption that is death that we have to pass through death in order to get to. And we don't long for death. Death is the enemy, right? Doesn't it say that in 1 Corinthians 15? The last enemy to be overcome is death. It's an enemy. But 
we don't live in dread of this enemy because God has written a better story for us that the enemy has become a servant who ushers us into the presence of eternal glory. Thank you, Jesus. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. That's coming. The seeds of this hope were sown in our salvation because it says in verse 24, in this hope we were saved. So the, the text this morning kind of pivots on the first word in verse 26. Likewise. He, he just compared our present suffering and future glory and he says this future glory that which you don't see is so much greater than the depth of your personal sufferings we we shouldn't even compare the two but i want you to see that i want you to see i want you to at least acknowledge with your consciousness and with your mouth that the future glory is far better then the present pain is bad. Now then, likewise. Likewise. Compare those two things to two other things. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So now, there's three things groaning. There's the creation. There's us who've received the first fruits of the Spirit, and there's the Spirit groaning with us. We don't groan alone. You ever talk to people who feel a little bit resentful of God as if he were aloof from our pain? Oh yeah, it's easy for you to talk about this or that or righteousness or what you expect from me, but I'm going through it down here. And it's not like that. Because the Spirit enters into our groanings. He suffers with us and he prays for us. Because you ever try praying for a while? I'm going to have an all-night prayer vigil. That sounds great. And after five minutes, I'm out. Even praying for a specific situation. We were praying for Brennan and JC last night. And after less than five minutes, I ran out of understanding of what to say. And so thinking about this text, I said, Holy Spirit, would you please pick up where I left off and say the things I should have said because I don't even know what they are. He prays for us. And I'm so thankful. So he doesn't say just a whole lot about our being helpless because it's not worthy to be compared, (laughs) because we're helped. Our helplessness, 
we're so weak, we're constantly in need of help, and we don't even know what to ask, we don't know how to ask for what we need. That's what prayer is, right? We don't know how. So that, that's, that's enough about that. Because the point is, we are marvelously helped. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit helps, in part by asking what we should have asked. I think about Ephesians 3.20 there where it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I've been challenged by that word because if God is able to do far more than what I ask or think, and the text seems to imply that he intends to, is it okay to ask for small things? I, I think it's a little bit insulting to him sometimes for him to have all might, all power, and good intentions beyond what we can conceive of to say, I, I don't want much, could you just heal this hangnail? <laughs> when there's a gaping wound in the side of Ukraine, I had a close friend who was planting churches in Kiev when the Russian invasion came. And he got out. He's in Hungary at, at the moment. But this is not an hour to ask for small requests. Large things are needed, and God is willing to do more than we ask, so let's ask big. The Spirit of God prays the will of God over the people of God. And so, all things work for good. Do you believe that this morning? This is verse 28 here. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, notice, he didn't say that all things are good. Right? When the Russian troops run over a general and cut his legs off? Is that good? I don't love it. When people die in war, is that good? I don't love it. I don't think God loves it. But what is he doing worldwide for the sake of his name in the midst of such terrible things? We don't even know. But you know something about what he does in your own life. In the middle of the pressure, in the middle of the pain, you know something about how he redeems that and works a change in you. Look at verse 29. You need to know what good he's working for in order to understand the pattern of your own life. Because if you don't understand the pattern of his working with you, you won't have a chance at understanding the pattern of his working in the world because it's larger. 
but it's the same thing. So verse 29 says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, pay attention, conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What good is he working in all the circumstances of your life? Conformity to the image of Jesus. Grace and I used to illustrate this in home Bible studies by asking if whoever, whoever's house we were in, if they had any tin foil. And usually the answer was yes. We'd rip off a piece and I'd push it onto my face like this and then pull it off side by side. It's, it, the tin foil's now the same shape as my face. That's what conformity is. You lay something on something else and then apply pressure so that the image is transferred. So who bears the image? Jesus. How do we lay ourselves against him? By faith. How does God ordain the pressure to come so that we're conformed to his image? And it's by the hard points in life, mostly. Good times too, but, but the hard times are notably most useful in his hand for making us conform to the image of him whom we've laid ourselves on by faith. I love all these words in verse 29. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. When does predestination happen? I, I could take you to several scriptures, but let me just tell you, it was before the foundation of the world that he looked and set his affection on you and said, you're going to be mine. You will be mine. I choose you. And then much later, from our perspective, in time, he called you by name and you came. And what did he do to you when you came? He declared you righteous, justified. You are innocent. And God can't lie. His word has creative power. When he declares you innocent, guess what? If it wasn't true before, it becomes true when he says it. And it says those whom he justified, he also glorified. When does that happen? From our perspective, that's future. And he talks about it in the past tense. What does that mean? That means that you can trust God to finish what he started. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 1.6. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Trust him to finish the work. Glorification happens after we're done here. And there's enough grace for today, and you can say that every day. Until he finishes the work, and you stand complete before him in glory. Hmm. Robert? 
Robert, I know you've got some thing planned, but before we leave here, can we do I Speak Jesus now or later? One of those. Paul's been filling our ears full of things that we need to hear. And he acts like he's coming to a conclusion here in verse 31 because he says, what then should we say to these things? And the answer is, if God is for us, who can be against us? So I want to just look at that word if and go ahead and ask the question, is there evidence that God is for us? Well, how about predestination? Placing his affection on you before the creation of the world. I would say that that indicates that God is for us. How about your specific calling, that God specifically called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? I would say that that's evidence that God is for you. How about working for your justification by sending his own son made in the likeness of sinful men and for sin so that you would be set free from your sin and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God? I would say that's evidence that God is for you. And what about talking about glorification in past tense that your future is already settled in his sight? I would say that that means God is for you. Hallelujah. So, how are we to approach our present sufferings? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Where is God in the suffering? Remembering his own suffering, remembering the death of his own son, drawing near to your heart with its aches, saying, I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to lose. That's the sort of God that's for you, the sort of God that draws near to you, a God who's not unaware of what suffering and loss are like. We approach our present sufferings as people of hope. Much of what we see is pretty grim. Wars, rumors of wars, sicknesses, accidents, and so we groan. But God set his affection on us before the foundation of the world. In the course of time, he sent his son to be born like one of us and to suffer and die in our place so that our sins would be forgiven. Then in our own days, he's called us to himself, declaring us righteous by the virtue of the sacrifice made by Jesus for us. The glorious, eternal end is sure for us, even though it is unseen at present. While we wait, suffering and groaning, we are being made like Jesus. The success of this plan makes all the pain worth it. Today, if you've been suffering and groaning, but have lost sight of the hope of becoming like Jesus in the present and with Jesus in the future, 
I want you to come and meet with him at the altar. If you feel your need, but don't know what to ask, come to the altar. The Spirit has promised to pray for you as he groans with you. So I'm officially going to close in prayer, and I just want to welcome you to come meet with him who feels your pain. Amen? Lord Jesus, you are so, so worthy, and we are so, so thankful that you've made yourself available to us, that by faith we can lay ourselves upon you, and that you redeem all the hurts of this age by using them to make us like you. We pray for the success of this work in Jesus' name. Amen.